0: Are we lucky every week you get to listen to these guys? Every single week. Tonight is the first night we broke 400, 405. Yes. One year later, we had 90 people and now 405. There you go. Thank you for bringing your friends. Always remember this is a place to bring your friends. All your friends, they're welcome here. No matter how big or tall or small or what background they come from, or what race they are, what their education is, no matter who they are, they're welcome at The Rock. So you remember that next week, okay? Keep inviting your friends. We're going to wrap up this series tonight, and I've been talking to you about developing your life survival skills. And what we're going to talk about this evening is developing the ultimate survival skill. And what is the ultimate... I call it actually the ultimate survival tool. Every person needs one. I want you to imagine for just a moment... It's not too hard, you live in Minnesota, that it's 40 degrees below zero without the wind chill. Now, I know with global warming and all that, we're getting this beautiful weather, but think back to a day last year when it was about 40 below and the wind is... It's just howling outside, and you gotta get up, and it snowed the night before. You gotta shovel to get your car out, to get to school, or to get to work. And it's the kind of cold that they're telling you, you know, if you go outside and your skin's exposed too long, it's gonna freeze. You go to your bedroom and you step into your favorite swimming suit. And out the door you go barefoot, bare chested, no gloves. Nothing on your legs. Grab your shovel, and you get out there for the next two hours. Anybody here that foolish? I don't think so. You know, you ever been caught in that kind of weather? Well, if you did, you were drunk. Okay, we all know that. So, we want to help you get over that. That's another reason the rock started. But, that's a whole other story for another time. We wouldn't think of going outside in that kind of weather with a, even me. And I'm going to tell you I hate hats. When I was in high school, I go to I washed my hair every morning with the best shampoo available at that time. That was before Nexus. And then I would then I would just leave it like a big lion's mane and I would walk to school in my denim jacket and it would be 15 degrees out, no hat, no gloves, and no lining in my jacket cuz I was cool and I was tough. And by the time I got to school, it was icicles in my hair. <laughs> it's a wonder I ever lived. I don't do that anymore, just so you know that. When it's really cold, I have this hood, special hood on this special coat. It's only for cold days. It's in my closet otherwise and automatically stands up, doesn't touch my hair, but it keeps my it keeps my ears warm. You know what I'm saying? Keeps my ears warm. I look really stupid in a hat. Some of you think I look stupid anyway, but in a hat, I really look stupid. We just wouldn't imagine or think about going out in that kind of weather without the proper equipment. And yet I deal with people all the time who think about facing life and life is much harder, harsher than a Minnesota winter and they face it without God. They try to handle life all on their own and all the pressures that come to bear in your life. This last week has been one crisis after another that I've been trying to help individual people manage from person getting raped to a person's son dying at 23 years of age on a drug overdose to a person whose wife said I'm going to leave you and walked out on them. And some weeks that's the way my life is. It's just one major crisis after another. I could not even imagine what it would be like to face life without God. And I mean without a personal relationship with God. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like in your life if every day for ten years straight there was no sunshine. You never saw it. rained 360 days out of 365 every year. Sometimes kind of light, sometimes kind of heavy. And you had to function in that kind of an environment. That's just a little bit, just a little bit of what it's like to live your life without God. To live your life without God's presence, God's person in your world every single day. That's what and many of you are experiencing that in your life. Many of you, that's what your life is like every single day. You get up out of bed, you face all these problems, all these obstacles in your life, All these burdens bearing down on you. Some of them may be burdens from the past. And some of them are burdens from the present. And some of them are um, are obstacles and worries and fears that you have that you know are coming in your day. Some of them are the pressures you feel from a relationship. Some of the pressures you feel because you don't have the relationship anymore. And some of it's just plain life. I got to tell you, you know, I've talked to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in my life. We just had a light problem, but don't worry about it. Because we'll make it through. Can you see me now? All right, okay, well, if I have to stand here, I will. I'll stand right here and walk off the edge of the stage. You You know, when I was three years old, I was on my first stage, sharing my first Bible verse, and I got too close to the edge, rocking back and forth, and fell on the floor and busted my lips up. That's why they're so puffy and kissable. (laughs) I'm teasing. No, I didn't didn't have collagen put in there or anything like that. It's just natural. All natural. I probably deal, uh, you know, over the last 14 years I've been doing this, I've probably talked to thousands. Probably, I would say I've probably talked to 5,000 people minimum, personally. At the conferences I've done as well as personal counseling situations. And I am regularly amazed at the people who try to cope with life without God. They try to to handle all these difficult situations coming to life without God. I look back on my life and I can tell you that the single greatest blessing in my life and asset in my life is my personal relationship with Christ. I would not be here today if it was not for Christ's involvement in my life. When Jesus was on the planet and He was healing multitudes of people, the crowds would come to Him and He said this to them in Matthew chapter 11, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and burdened down and weighed down with life's heaviness, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you'll find rest for your soul." That's the kind of person that God is. That's the kind of entity that God is. He's personal. He cares about your life. And He cares about your problems. He cares about the issues that you're facing in your life. There's a few passages that I wanted to read you this evening that have been particularly comforting to me over my years and my relationship with God. This book we call the Bible or the Word of God. This book is God's message to you. It is the most well documented. Hey, look at that. All right. There, am I in the. Those are the wrong. Am I in the light there? No, I think it was those lights that were on. So I'm going to go back here. See? We'll deal with this. This is the most well documented, trustworthy, historical, accurate document in the world. And if you're interested in finding, if you really want to know the facts, if you want to play a game. I don't have time for that. But if you're really interested in the facts, there's a book that you can go purchase at the bookstore called *The Case for Christ*. It is written by a lawyer who is also a investigative journalist who has handled a multitude of trials in some of the biggest cities in the United States. And he carefully, and with great scrutiny, goes through all of the evidences. For Jesus Christ, and when he began doing it, he was a skeptic. He was not a Christian. He was not a God lover. And he traveled all over the world talking to the most reputable specialists and knowledgeable people in every area. Historicity, archaeology, medical people. And many people said Jesus didn't really die on the cross. So yes, he did. And the evidence strongly proves that He did. There are many who said He didn't raise from the dead. The evidence absolutely points to the fact that He did. The bottom line is, you can't get away from the fact that this is the truth. It is the Word of God. And God has things that He wants you to know about Him. Many of you know in your own heart, you feel this emptiness, this longing for something more. This longing for some stability, some peace, some refuge in your life. On top of all of the evidence, you have the witness, the personal witness of millions and millions of people who are alive today, who have personally encountered the living God. Not some made-up thing in their mind, but personally have invited God to come and live in their life, and He's revolutionized their life. Not when they learn some special techniques by watching Tony Robbins' videos, But in days, in moments, Christ came into their life and He changed them. I have seen drug addicts changed in a night. I have seen addicts changed in a day. I have seen men who used to be violent change in a day. That does not mean they never ever struggle with that feeling again. But I'm saying Christ invaded their life and changed them. Because God is real. In Psalms... There's a number of passages here that have been particularly comforting to me through my life and over the 24 years that I've been following Christ. One is Psalm 23 and it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of God forever. Many years ago, I was watching a black and white Twilight Zone episode and it was it was, it was was about uh, this librarian. His name was Bur- Burgess Meredith was the guy who played it. He was the little manager in Rocky, if you ever saw the Rocky movies. And it was all about the power of the state. Rod Sterling was an extraordinarily creative writer. And he could capture different things going on in the world. And one of the things this movie was meant to capture was the totalitarianism of the communist regime, which has since been destroyed almost all over the world, except primarily Cuba. And one day, Fidel will fall as well, because he will die. His time is coming. In communist countries, and this also happened with Hitler, the Bible was always sought to be squelched. God, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. If you ever get a chance <clears throat> to travel to the former Soviet Union and to go to downtown Moscow <clears throat> or to go to Kiev, Ukraine, I have many friends that travel there. In fact, in two days I'll be with a friend who goes there frequently, probably four or five times a year. Walking down the streets right after the wall fell, but even before... It's like walking among the dead. The people barely lift up their eyes off the ground. They are paranoid of everyone and everything. And they are totally hopeless. The addiction to alcohol in the former Soviet Union is mind-blowing. The sense of despair and the sense of hopelessness. And I have had friends there now who are leading thousands of people to Jesus Christ and the change that's coming in their life because they've been told for years that there is no God and that God does not care well you know what God's still around and Stalin is not God's still around and Lenin is not and no matter what totalitarian regime ever rises or falls God is still where He's always been and He cares about every single person well this little movie this was about this totalitarian regime and uh, so they were going through different people and they were determining they were obsolete And they would bring them in this great hall. And it was all in black and white, so it was very ominous. And they would walk down this hall, and there would be these men and women, and they're very bland looking and very horrifying looking, sitting up on these big, tall podiums. And the person would walk down this hall, and there would be a person with a gavel at the front. He hit the gavel, said, And how does the jury rule? Obsolete, obsolete, obsolete obsolete. And they'd kill the person. Put him in a gas chamber and kill him. Well, Burgess Meredith with this librarian. And they were finally determining that books were obsolete. There was no need for any books. There was no need for God. So they bring Burgess Meredith into this great hall. And they walk him down the hall and they ask him, how do you plead? And he pleads, I plead not guilty. You need books. And then this Man, mean looking guy with a scorn on his face looks out all over all the judges on their big podiums. Says, and how does the jury rule? Obsolete, obsolete, obsolete. Well, there's a little known law in this country that whenever you're obsolete, you get to choose your method of death. So Burgess Meredith says, Well, I would like to choose a special method of death. And before I die, I have a request. I would like you, and he points to the judge, the one who's running the whole proceedings, I want you to come to my home, <clears throat> to my apartment. So he comes up to his apartment, and Burgess Meredith invites him in. And, and the other thing he asks is, is, I want you to televise on national television. So, this colonel guy, he comes into Burgess Meredith's apartment, and he walks in, and Burgess Meredith, unbeknownst to him, but you can tell, he locks the door, and he... Uh, Throws away the key. Walks over the window. Drops it out. Well, so you think anyway. So they sit down and the guy's starting to have a cigarette. And and, uh, he starts to have this conversation with Burgess Meredith. He says, you know, what does it feel like to know you're going to die? I'm not afraid to die. Everybody's afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. And then he looks at the man. He says, and I want to ask you, what does it feel like to not believe there's a God? There is no God. The state is all that matters. All that matters is the state. Of course, this guy's hamming it up because he's on TV. Well, the clock's starting to tick, and it's right at midnight hour that he's going to die. The clock's getting closer and closer, and finally the guy says, Well, I need to go because, you know, it's time for you to die. He goes over and unlocks the door, and he can't get out the door. Beads of sweat start to form on his forehead, and Burgess Meredith sits in his chair, and he begins to read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And this guy's getting really rageful now. He's getting really all anxious and bothered. Burgess Meredith very calm. See, what he didn't tell anyone is he chose to be blown up. And this man finally, he's begging for his life, of course on national TV. Let me out, let me out. And he runs over the door and he grabs it and he's shaking the handle, he's shaking the handle. Finally, it's about time and Burgess Meredith walks over and he continues to read. And then, boom, you hear this big explosion. And then you see the colonel. How does the jury plead? And he's down on the floor this time. Obsolete, obsolete, obsolete. Then they kill him. Have you ever faced death with a friend? Have you ever had a friend who died? <coughs> Have you ever talked to a friend about death? Sometimes I wonder which is scarier, living or dying. Have you ever thought about that? Living can be very scary. <coughs> And dying can be very scary as well. This passage tells us that we need to fear neither. You know, it's interesting. In the last 10, 15 years, you know how many new diseases psychologists have identified? How many phobias? They never were around before. All of a sudden, every anxiety, every fear, it's a disease, it's a problem. You know what I believe? I believe the farther we've drifted from God, the more that we've detached ourselves from God and our need of God, the more frightened we become the more dysfunctional we have become. Psychology would bear that out. (laughs) Counselors make a ton of money off of your dysfunction and the dysfunction of your friends. And you know what? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's soldiers and all the king's men can't put your life back together again, but Christ can. And He's the only one who can. Christ can put your life back together. He can heal you emotionally. He can give you the courage to live your life. Here's another one of my favorite psalms. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord protects me from danger, so why should I tremble? When other people try to destroy me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will know no fear. Even if they attack, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live with God, to live in His presence all the days of my life, delighting in God's perfections, for He will conceal me when trouble comes. He will hide me in His secret place. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies. Listen to my pleading Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds saying, I am coming. This is what God invites to every person in the world. Come, talk to me. God wants to be involved in your life. God cares about you. You are the most significant thing in the universe to God. God cares more about you than He cares about the dolphins. Now, you might care more about the dolphins than you care about your neighbor, but I just want you to know God cares more about you than He does the animals. He feeds the animals. He takes care of the animals. The Bible tells us that. God cares about you. Christ died for you. Christ shed his blood for you. So that you and I could be joined together with God. Christ gave his life so you could have peace with God. He rose from the dead so you would never have to die. Ever. Tell you something about me I'm immortal, I'm simply indestructible. Until God says my time is over. So I don't worry about it. What is it going to do to worry about it? You come to Christ, you are immortal. You are indestructible. Until God is done with you. And then, you're still indestructible. He just causes you to disappear from this place and you go to another. You never die. The Bible tells us, he who hears my words and believes in Him who sent me has passed from death to life and will never be judged never when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees he told them you're a bunch of walking sepulchers you're dead men you know the movie dead men walking maybe you remember that movie that's the truth about most of your friends did you know that they're dead people walking they're not alive they don't have a connection with God yes they enjoy God's creation they have human life but they don't have spiritual life. Without spiritual life, you don't really live. It's like living without the sun. It's like going out in the cold without a coat, without clothes. You freeze, you get numb, you have pain. And that's what life is like without God. God comes into your life and all of a sudden, your load becomes lighter. You ever gone backpacking, had a big load? When I I, I got out of high school, I went hitchhiking. And I went to the mountains in Colorado. When I got there with my buddy, we decided to go camp. We didn't want to use that camping food, so we bought canned goods. And we stuffed our pack with canned goods, like SpaghettiOs and baked beans and all that kind of stuff. I think my pack weighed 70 pounds. The reason I know is because I also was with my buddy. He was an Eagle Scout. We decided not to use the normal trail. He wanted to kind of go cross-country, just make our own. So we're going up through these trees, and I'm huffing, and I'm puffing, I'm grabbing a tree to pull up. And the next thing I know, I slip. My pack leans to the right. And right down below us, there's like this rapids. And I start rolling down, boom, 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 rolling through these thistles, down towards the water. At the last moment, I grab this tree. Hold on. Now, I want to tell you, it was really nice to be able to take the stupid pack off and unload my body. It was even nicer when I came to Christ. And have known Him for the last 24 years. And when my life gets loaded down with burdens, just be able to take them and take them off like I take this vest off. Just take them off. I don't have to carry them in my emotions. I don't have to carry them in my soul. People have often asked me, Mark, how do you deal not only with your own difficulties, your own life, but all the difficulties of all the people that come your way? I said, well, that's really very easy to answer. I said, I just get right in there and I love that person and I try to feel what they feel and I try to help them go through what they're going through. But you know what? I never do it alone. I give the burdens to God. If I had to lay up every single night and think, oh my gosh, Lord, what am I going to say at that funeral tomorrow? What am I going to say to the mother and father whose kid just blew his brains out? What am I going to say to the kid who is now in treatment? I don't worry about it. Honest to God, I don't worry about it. God promises to give me what I need to face every single day. I don't look forward to the next five years. I just live today. I'm going to talk the next couple of weeks on how to stay calm under fire, how to deal with pressures. But I want to tell you, my life is basically just pressure. All the time. There are so many things going on in my life, on my plate, not only here, but all over the country where I'm involved, and in the lives of lots of different people. All the time, I put that load on God. I want to read one other passage to you that's been a a very comforting passage to me out of Isaiah chapter 40. To whom will you compare God? What image might you find to resemble Him? Can He be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or is He a poor person's wooden idol? Is it better? Can God be compared to an idol that must be placed on a stand so it won't fall down? Have you never heard or understood? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words He gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. By the way, For those of you who wonder about the Bible, that very verse was the verse that Christopher Columbus read. For those of you that know accurate history, and it's the reason why he believed the world was round. When every single other person in the world, the known world at that time, believed it was flat. He believed it was round. And that he wouldn't fall off the edge when he lost sight of the boats out on the sea. Because God says he sits above the circle of the earth. The people below must seem to him like grasshoppers. He is the one who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. I think about that verse so often. You get these dictators and they rise up. Where is Hitler today? His bones are rotting and his soul is in hell. Where is Lenin today? Where is Stalin? Do you realize that Lenin and Stalin killed five times more people than Hitler did? Just in the first few years of their reign, 30 million Ukrainians were starved and killed. That kind of thing is still going on in North Korea today. And where is Mao Zedong today? He's dead. All the great peoples of the earth, no matter what their talents are, no matter what kind of power they have, it comes to an end. God's does not. That's the beautiful thing, you see, about having God on your side, about having God in your life. He's the one and only permanent ruler, and His rule doesn't end. And you're His subject, not only His subject, you're His child. You're in His family. And you're going to reign with Him. I'm going to reign with Him. And so is every other person who becomes a child of God. We will spend all eternity with Him. There's no need to fear. There's no need to be alarmed. Then He goes on to say, they hardly get started barely taking root when he blows on them and their work withers the wind carries them off like straw so to whom will you compare me who is my equal says God look up to the heavens who created the stars he brings them out one after another calling each of them by name and he counts them to see that none are lost or is straight away you ever thought have you ever at night when you' were a kid look up at the stars started to count them I did. I lost my place. God has every star numbered. You know what the Bible says in the Gospels? It says He has every hair on your head numbered. God knows you inside and out. He cares about you. O Israel... How can you say the Lord doesn't see your trouble? How can you say God refuses to hear your case? Have you never heard or understood? Don't you know the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never gets tired. He never grows faint. He never grows weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted. Young men will give up, but those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on the wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God wants to do that in your life. God wants to look after you. God wants to get involved in your personal world. The question tonight is, will you let Him? See, because He's not intrusive. He made the world for you. He made the body in which you live. He gave you the eyes and the ears that you hear and the mouth that you speak with. He gave you the blood that's in your veins and the air that fills your lungs. He gave you the mind that you think with, the personality and the temperament that is uniquely yours. They were gifts to you. He will not invade your life. He will not intrude on your person unless you invite Him. Some of you here tonight, you understand brokenness because you're broken. Some of you are a little too arrogant to grasp it. But every one of us in the room, myself included, We've all wronged, God. I mean, do you jump out of bed every day say, Oh, God, thank you, man, for this day. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for my feet. Thank you for the bed I got to sleep in. Thank you for the heat, Lord. Thank you for the mind. Jeez, I use it every single day. Lord, don't know what I'd do without it. I'll be honest with you. I doubt it. I doubt it. In fact, you know, rather than thanking God, it's God damn this and Jesus Christ that. That's generally how God's name is used. God wants to change your life, see? He wants to forgive you of your sin. You need His forgiveness. You need His peace. You need His strength in your life. You need His presence in your life. You need His love. You need Him. And that's what this is all about. And I just be honest with you, the whole reason you were born, the whole reason God made the world was to put you on it so that you could come to know Him. That's why it's better to have been born than never be born. You never are born, you were never a thing, never a person, you never get to know God. And you may think your life's pretty bad and you may think sometimes I wish I'd never been born. I tell you what, I don't think that ever anymore at all. I used to think that. I don't anymore. I came to know God. I would rather have suffered the pain I've suffered and know God than suffered no pain at all and never lived and not known God. He wants you. See, and it does not matter what you've done. God knows everything that's happened to you. He's known every fear. He's known every wrong that's been done to you. And He's known every wrong that you've done. And He paid for it. It's settled. And He rose from the dead so you would never have to die. And you can have them tonight. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I'm going to give you the opportunity tonight. Rather, God is going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in Him. Many people have asked me, to say, you know, Mark, what do I have to do to know God? What do I have to do? to I have eternal life? Do I have to clean up my life? No. Do I have to put money in a basket? No. Do I have to get baptized? No. Do I have to become a member? No. Do I have to go to church often? No. What do I have to do? Nothing. All that God requires of you is admission that you need Him. Admission that He really is the only one who can save you. And you simply put your faith in Him. And you know what faith is like? It's like walking up to an elevator. You're standing on the ground. You push the button. Ding! Ding. The doors come open. Now you have a decision. You may not realize this. But you can't see the cables that are holding up that box some of you never even thought about this probably going to scare you after I tell you this you get into that that box on cables and wheels and you step in and the doors close behind you and now you're all alone one time I got stuck on an elevator for a long time it's not a very good feeling you exercise faith every day did you know that? You get in your car, you think you're hot stuff behind the wheel, some jerk could just come over in your lane and at any moment, you're dead. All it is is you behind the wheel. You put your faith in you, and that steering wheel and those four wheels are going to stay on track, and that engine's gonna get you where you need to go. That's what it's like with God. You step out there on that limb, you step into that box, into that elevator God's, and you say, Lord, I put your faith, my faith in your Son. I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. I know I need you. And I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me. I acknowledge to you that I've sinned. I want to live. I want the life that you have. Jesus stood up in the crowd at the marketplace and he said, Whoever, whoever wants to drink the waters of life, come to me. And you'll be satisfied. You remember the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? That's what Jesus meant when He said, you drink from Me and you'll never thirst again. All the things in life leave us thirsty for more. You get out of school, you get that house you think you want, that car you think you want, and a couple years later, it will no longer satisfy your needs anymore. You're going to want more. But that's not what happens with God. You come to know God. You submit to Him. You invite Him in and then you begin to follow Him. And I'll tell you something. I haven't been thirsty for 24 years. Now there were times I had my my faith misplaced and I thought I was thirsty. But I can honestly say in 24 years I've never been disappointed with God. So as we bow our heads... I just want you to do this I'm going to close in prayer you don't have to say nothing out loud you don't have to raise your hand you don't have to stand up you don't have to walk down to the front here God is right where you're at right now and He can hear every single one of you talk to Him at the same time as though you were the only person talking to Him He's big enough to handle your problems He's big enough to handle your life and I want you to tell Him Lord Jesus I want you to come into my life I want you to be my Saviour I want you to be my God, I need you and I put my trust in you tonight. Thank you for coming and He'll come and He lives in your life. That's His promise, His Spirit. You become possessed by God and He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. The Bible says even though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will not forsake me. He will never leave you. He'll never jump out of you. Once He's in, you're in. He's yours. You're His. No matter what happens for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You this evening for the extraordinary love that You showed to each of us here and to all of our friends and relatives throughout the world. It's amazing, Lord, to think that You die for every single one of us, that You love us personally, that You care about us, Lord, You know everything about us and You want us anyway. There's no surprises when we come to know You. You're not surprised that all of a sudden, wow, this hasn't changed about me yet or this hasn't changed about me yet or may I may have had this problem. Lord, we're kind of like that little deformed orphan in Romania living in a little cage crib. Nobody wants us. One day someone comes along and says to the little child, with the deformed leg and the shortened arm. I want that one. And that's how you are with us, Lord. Because sin has deformed us. Sin has made us ignorant and foolish and dumb. It's hurt us. And you can take the pain away. And you can change our life. Father, I just ask you to give each person here tonight who does not know you the courage to embrace you. And I ask you, Lord, for those individuals who know you're here tonight, but maybe they've been floundering in their life, that tonight they would recommit themselves in their relationship with you. Lord, they'd rest on this extraordinary gift that has been given to us. You, you're the gift. You're our rock. You're our refuge. You are the stability and the protector of our life. And everything that you ever allow in our life, you say, is for our good. I thank you Lord that nothing can hurt us really ever hurt us and whatever comes into our life and causes pain you've allowed for a wonderful reason and we always win I have won for 24 straight years in the end I've always come out on top because you